The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. There's an announcement of V-Day. When the Nazis were defeated and all of Europe would be set free from the tyranny and fear of Nazism. We may think that a little archaic because that was then filmed but aired on radio. Today I think that declaration of freedom, that declaration of deliverance from tyranny, that declaration from bondage, and that declaration from death would have spread very rapidly through social media. How many of you know what social media is? (laughs) But even as archaic as that seems in the days of biblical times in the Far East prior to Christ, there was a different type of pronouncement that would take place of deliverance or freedom from of people being under siege or bondage. It's where we get the phrase that comes out of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. You can turn there if you like. We'll read that in just a moment. But the picture that's recorded in here by the prophet Isaiah is one where after a battle had been completed and those who were under siege or bondage would have a pronouncement that the, the hostilities have ceased or there was going to be freedom that was forthcoming from their enemies or those who would place them in bondage and there would be messengers that would be sent out to the north and the south and the east and the west and they would go up on the hills there in the barren dry lands and they were pronounced that freedom had certainly been granted and that enemies had defe- been defeated and the picture there was given of a uh, individual up on a high place and they would look up to the hills to hear the pronouncement and they would say oh how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news Isaiah when he was prophesying in his prophecy in chapter 52 verse 7 stated it this way he said how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace and who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation and who say to Zion, your God reigns. He was declaring a message of deliverance for the children of Israel who had been held in captivity in Babylon that there was coming a time when they would be emancipated. Nahum about the same time prophesied in his short prophecy To the southern kingdom who had been infiltrated by the Assyrians, he stated it this way. He said, look, there on the mountains, the feet of those who bring good news, those who proclaim peace. Now celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And of course, we know that the deliverance that had been prophesied at that time would be very short-lived because the children of Israel continued to go through cycles of bondage. And, and it was almost in a foreshadow in a sense that there was going to be one who is declared who would bring ultimate deliverance for his people. But this time, not the deliverance from government, not the, the deliverance from bondage and tyranny of government, but it would be deliverance from the own, their own bondage that they had in their own lives. And that was the bondage of sin. 
Paul echoes what these two prophets declared in Romans chapter 10 verse 15 when he said this. And you can turn there in your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to do some follow-on along today because... I really only developed this on Friday. I changed gears. I felt the Holy Spirit was saying something different to me. But Paul says this, beginning in verse 9, I think he says. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Underline that word, underline, everyone. Who is everyone? Thank you. You're with me this morning. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on to say then, how then can they call on the Lord if they've not believed? And then how can they believe if the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone proclaiming to them? And how can they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Father, we pray that Lord, the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and quicken our hearts this morning. Oh God, to the reality and the fact that, Lord, you have called us today to be those that have beautiful feet on the mountain, proclaiming the good news that there is deliverance, there is peace with God, and there's salvation, and that Jesus is who He says He is. God, would You stir our hearts to the Word of God this morning, Lord, to continue to be on mission with what You called us as believers, as Your body to do. Amen. You know, if you read throughout recorded history and Scripture, we realize, and not only in Scripture, but today in current history, that God has always had those that he's called to distribute his message of deliverance. Even in those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we call those the silent years. But can I tell you something? God was not silent. God has never shut his mouth. God has always declared that there is a means for deliverance for His people that He's called that they might be delivered from the bondage of sin and death and ultimately eternity separated from Him in hell. God's desire is that none should perish but all come to faith in Christ. When we look through the recordings in the Old Testament, God had His particular ones that He anointed and He set apart to proclaim. We remember Noah in His day where He proclaimed salvation and deliverance. We remember Moses, how God raised him up, and Joshua. And I think of Samuel where it's recorded in that first chapter of Samuel that in those days when the Word of God was scarce, God called one to proclaim the message of the Word of God. We can go through the scripture and we see here in Isaiah and also Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? The one who brought down fire from heaven as a message of deliverance. And Jeremiah as he's called that fiery prophet. And Jeremiah had a little bit different message. Oftentimes he kind of pronounced that there was going to be a judgment of God that was coming on his people. But along with that judgment, it wouldn't end with a statement of judgment, but there was the mercy heart of God that He is long-suffering and He desires that His people come to Him. So there's a proclamation of mercy and the wrath of God. 
But in that judgment would become restoration or would come restoration and renewal for God's people. How many of us understand that, yes, God is a just God. But yet his heart is that all would come to know him. And he relents his punishment. He relents his time by his mercy so that others can come to know him. Can I hear an amen on that? The writer of Hebrews declares for us, though, in these last days, and we are living in the last days. We've been living in the last days for about 2,000 years now, but don't give up hope. God is always perfect in His time. And we need to recognize and realize and have a fresh awakening that we are living in the last days. And just like the early apostles had no idea when the end of that last day period would come, we too do not know, but it could come tomorrow. It could come today. Not only when Jesus returns, but for some of us, our last day could be this very day. That's a sober reminder, isn't it? Well, we're living in the last days. And the writer in Hebrews tells us that in times past, God spoke to us through our forefathers. I've mentioned many of those. He spoke to us through the prophet at many times and in various ways. He says this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. And God's plan, there's not a plan B. God's plan A is that in these last days he speaks to us, he speaks to the world through his son Jesus Christ as recorded in the scriptures. And that's why we've been going through the gospel of Mark, because we find God's plan A through Jesus, that he wants to declare his message to the world through you and I, the body of Christ. If you're like me, I wonder why in the world would he want to use boneheads like me? Any other boneheads in the... Thank you for your honesty. But that's his plan. In Isaiah and Nahum, there, there was a prophecy that there was deliverance that was to come. But I find it interesting when God sent his son as the deliverer. It wasn't that he was just going to proclaim a message of deliverance, but he himself was going to provide through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the means for deliverance. Listen to what the scriptures say. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, you can turn there with me or just write it down in your notes. Rather than pronouncing a deliverance, Paul tells us that he was delivered. The provision of deliverance. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Think about that for a moment. God, very God, the Son of God, by all rights and means, should not have been the one delivered over for your sin and my sin. He who committed no sin and there was no sin in him. 
but that God in His love, His grace, and His mercy sent His only Son to be delivered over in our place so that we might be delivered from the bondage of sin and eternal judgment. That just still boggles my mind. I've been saved now some 37 years and it never gets old that God laid His own Son on the sacrifice of the cross so that my sins and your sins could be paid for. And if it ever gets old to us, then we need to recheck our checker. Amen? Paul puts it this way when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter verse 10, chapter 1 verse 10. He says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. Ponder that for a moment. He has delivered us, Jesus has delivered us from a deadly peril. Meaning that we're all in the same boat. That every single one of us here in this room, I don't care how good you have been, I don't care how your church attendance has been. I don't care if you won the sword drill, uh, sword Bible drills in RAs. You might remember that. And you got the little certificate there. Your mom still has it. You may not have it, but she has it. I don't care what your involvement may have been in WMU. I don't care what your involvement may have been in GAs. I'm dating myself, aren't I? I don't care what your involvement may have been in the move offering. We're all before the cross in the same condition, sinners in need of salvation, separated from God because of our sin. And Paul says here that Jesus has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. You see, He delivered us at the moment we trusted Him from the penalty and payment of sin. But there's that hope that we have that one day, one day, we'll be delivered from this unsanctified body and fleshly thoughts that we talked about last week that emanate from our heart and we wrestle with this sin that we have, that there will be a day that we'll be delivered from that and no longer be in torment of it. Now, I'm not exactly inviting that tomorrow. But I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if anybody else is with me in that camp. On Him, we have set our hope and He will continue to deliver us. You see, when they looked up on the hills, they saw those feet there and and there was a message of deliverance that was proclaimed and there's a message of deliverance that's proclaimed in the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. But secondly, when that messenger was proclaiming not only the message of deliverance, he was proclaiming that there is now peace. Peace is simply the absence of strife. But as we saw there, and, and we even see still in our own life, there's, there's not that complete sense of peace because we still live in strife, don't we? We see a world wrecked by strife. We see oftentimes the body of Christ, shame on us, wrecked by strife, and there's no peace. But the beautiful thing about now this message that's proclaimed in Christ is that He has delivered us from strife 
between us and God. And He has, through Jesus, made peace between us and a holy God. You see, we find in Scripture there are three types of peace that are spoken of in relationship to God. There's a peace that's given from God. You ever have those instances where, where it shouldn't be there, right? But for some reason, you just have a peace that you know is from God, even in the midst of the stuff, right? It's there. And, and there's a, a, a peace that the Scriptures talk about, not only being from God, but there's the peace of God. And the two are very related that when there's a peace from God that comes on us, there's no other way. It's not the type of peace that the world gives, but it's the only type of peace that He can give, as Jesus says. There's a peace of God. But I propose to you this morning that there's a, another peace that's a far greater peace than a peace from God and the peace of God, and that is a peace with God. It's something that we don't like to think about, but it's true because it's recorded in Scripture. According to the Scriptures, you and I, before we come to know Christ, we are enemies of God. Now, that's not Jamo's opinion. That's what the Bible teaches us. And the Bible says that it's not as though God has made us His enemy, but we have made him, our enemy, because of our rebellion, our walking and pursuing things other than God, a, a front to God. Think about it for a moment. It is a heavy thing to be an enemy of the holy, almighty God. But through Jesus, Him being the sacrifice and the offering, now we have peace with God. I might start preaching in a minute. This just gets me excited. That we have peace with God and there is no other way we can have peace with God except what He provided for us through Christ. Paul writes in, in, in Ephesians that He is our what? Our peace. He has broken down the wall, that barrier that was between you and I and God. And it's not that He just provided a ladder that we might climb over the barrier. He's destroyed it and He's broken it down. And now we have peace with God. There's no other dividing wall there. And Paul goes on to say, because of Christ, there's now no division between Jew and Greek. Man and woman, etc., etc. And by the way, that's not a justification for the current debate in our nation about the wall at the southern border. Some of you have used that. That is just not using the biblical record correctly. I don't care what your opinion is on that. The greatest thing is that he has divided the barrier wall between us and God. So that we now have access to Him. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. He says this, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Folks, there is no peace offering that you and I could have ever provided. 
He provided the peace offering for us so that we can be at peace with God. Paul writes this in chapter 5 of verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does it say we've been justified just as if we'd never sinned, declared righteous? If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ and you don't realize that in His eyes you have been declared righteous, that's what the Bible teaches. We know that we're not righteous, right? But through the blood of Jesus making peace for us, we've been declared righteous by the Father. He's declared you and I by placing our faith in Him, righteous. Now that encourages me to go before Him. As the writer in Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. Why can we approach it? And we can approach it without any reservation because His blood has made a way and has ripped away the dividing wall and the curtain. And now we can come into His presence. A good friend of mine who lives in the southern state of Tamil Nadu in India, Joshua Vijakumar. I've known Joshua for probably 20 years now going on. And I've worked with him throughout the years in helping train national pastors in India. The, the state of Tamil Nadu is a very hostile state in the nation of India. It's even a, a law that if you proselytize anything other than Hinduism, you run the risk of being jailed, and oftentimes they're beaten, and sometimes it leads to death. And so the believers there in Tamil Nadu don't have the freedom that you and I have to go and proselytize, and, and we almost make like that's a four-letter word. It's not. By the way, I got a good excuse for doing this. I found out that I'm moderate to severe hearing loss in my right ear. So that's why I have to do this every now and then. I was with Joshua as we were advancing to develop a training of 7,000 house village church pastors there in southern India. And, and the heat had really cranked up in the state. And, and there were stories of many of the pastors had been taken out and beaten by residents of the villages, etc. And I was talking to Joshua about it. And I said, Joshua, man, I, I just hate I'm praying that it'll, it'll cease. And Joshua said this to me. Don't pray that way. I mean, I'm praying that persecution will stop. And, and Joshua says to me, he says, don't pray that way. And I quote, this is what he said. He said, we've come to realize that we need our enemies. We know that they are not at peace with us because they're not at peace with God. And this is why we must do all that we can to reach as many as we can with the good news of Jesus Christ. We need our enemies, he said. I wonder how many of us lately have said, God, send enemies our way. Now, I'm no prophet. First to declare that. 
But sometimes because of my travels in India and Cuba and other places around the world where I've heard the same story, that it's the very persecution that comes against the church. They love it and they thrive on it because the gospel is spreading. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder, God, are you allowing to happen in our nation what is happening so that the body of Christ will get on with it and realize that it's not about buildings, it's not about style, it's not about comfort, it's not about numbers, it's not about budgets, it's not about butts in the seat, but it's about us getting out and getting on with the mission because there are people that are dying and they're going to hell and they do not have peace with God. It's a message of peace. Notice in that proclamation of Isaiah and Nahum that, that it's a message of salvation. That in that there is a message of salvation being saved. And the message that we have to proclaim is a message of salvation. And somebody asks, saved from what? That's a good question, right? You know, in America we say, man, you need to be saved. And they're like, from What? Well, you need to be saved from a rough life. You need to be saved from poverty. You need to be saved from a broken education system. Folks, the greatest need in every man is to be saved from the penalty and judgment of their sin. All the other stuff's good. It's great. And it can be a means by which we proclaim the gospel message. But what every man, woman, and child need to be saved from is their condition of sin and the penalty of sin that is coming. God desires that none should perish but all come to eternal life. And there is a message of salvation in that. I repeat to you what stated, recorded by Luke in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12. Where he stated that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which man must be saved. Y'all, the message is not all the neat things that we may have going on here. The message is not find a place where you'll be welcomed and greeted and loved. Well, that's good. But the message is this, that God desires none to be lost, but all come to save your faith. And that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That's the message of salvation. Lastly, I want us to notice that in this declaration, there is a message of supremacy. Notice the last phrase that Isaiah uses in verse 7. He says, Who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Can I clue you in on something? There's no political party that's reigning today. There will never be a political party that's reigning. There will never be a union of nations that are reigning. Because we are of another citizenship. 
Now my blood runs red, white, and blue. I love this nation. But this nation has not saved anyone from the grips of hell. It's been by God's grace and His mercy that He has allowed us in this nation to have the freedoms that we have to proclaim the gospel. And I think there's no other reason that He's allowed us these freedoms. But I'm afraid that if we continue to take advantage of these freedoms and take for granted, I guess is a better way to put these freedoms, we may have to learn a lesson a harder way. It's a message of supremacy that, that our God reigns. Psalm 96 says this, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord on the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all people. That's why we state in our mission statement that we desire to display the grace of God, the same grace that has been displayed in our life in salvation. We want to display that to all people. Because we're His church and He's called us to that. I want to quote John Piper when he said this. He says, missions, and get out of your mind, foreign missions, but all types of missions, whether it's at the corner mart, whether it's at Publix or Food Giant or Cowan Hardware. Ed, I got that in there for you this morning. Missions exist because worship does not. You see, God is most glorified when people turn to Him and declare Him as Lord and Master and Savior. Close with this last story. Another good friend of mine, 20 plus years, in the nation of Malawi, I'm, I'm hoping that we get to have him here in May. He's going to be in the States. Throughout the years, I've partnered with, with Booker in Malawi to train hundreds of pastors there and church leaders in Malawi. Story goes like this. That in a small town in the state of Oklahoma, there was a revival meeting that was taking place. And the preacher that was there preaching revival during the week had put out a challenge and a call to missions for those who were in attendance in the service to either go across the street or around the world but God was calling them to be on mission with him and there was an old retired farmer that was there in the congregation in his early 80s God got a hold of his heart that night and he recognized and realized that he was somewhere between third base and home plate and probably closer to home plate. He said, you know what? I want the remaining days or years of my life to count. I'm willing to go. This farmer prayed and he was invited to go and see Booker Banda there in this nation of Malawi in eastern Africa. He goes there and he meets Booker and Booker he realizes is not yet saved, not yet trusted Christ and he shared the gospel message with Booker and Booker got radically saved. 
He didn't know what to do next. And so the missionary, as he was on his way back to the States, he said, listen, read the Gospels all the way through. You need to know what to do. Read the Gospels all the way through and then read the book of Acts and you'll know what to do. So Booker read all the way through the Gospels and then he comes to the book of Acts and the only thing he knew was that he was to go to the next village and proclaim the name of Jesus. So he goes to the next village and he proclaims the name of Jesus. A number come to Christ there and the church is planted. He said, God, what do I do next? He said, go to the next village. Booker goes to the village, and at that time, over a hundred villages that God had called Booker to journey into proclaiming the Gospels, now today still there are thriving, growing churches that are planted in those villages. We had him there in South Florida when I was there to speak at a missions conference. And Booker came, and Booker had on some of the worst, most detestable-looking shoes and boots that you'd ever want to see. There was a gentleman that came up to Booker after it, and, and I know he had right motives and being nice. He kind of said, if I can paraphrase, Booker, you know, I'll buy you a new pair of boots if you want a new pair of boots. Booker said, no, 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 no. He said, this is a reminder to me that there was a man that came from Oklahoma because he got the call of God. He came to Malawi. He led me to Christ, and these boots have carried me all over Malawi, Mozambique, and in the Congo, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. The gentleman wanted to engage in a conversation about when Jesus was going to come back. You know, the whole pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib thing. By the way, I'm pre-trib, but whatever. Booker looked at him in all of his wisdom. He said, you know, I'm really not sure whether it's pre, mid, or post. He said, but I know this. Jesus is coming back. And my boots still have tread on them. Let me ask you a question. Do your boots have treads on them? Where has God called you to? It may not be Malawi. I can tell you this. I know where He's called all of you to. He's called every one of you to the places that you'll be tomorrow. He's called every one of us to the place where you'll be on Tuesday. He's called every one of us to the place we'll be on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and go on and on. Listen, the question is, as the messenger stood on the mountain and they said, How lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. Will you carry your feet to where God is taking you every day to share good news? Can I see a show of hands who, who want to do that, who are willing to do that? That's peer pressure because nobody wants to keep their hands down, right? God sees your heart. If you desire for God to use you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, put your shoes on and be willing for Him to use you wherever you may go. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.